Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Yeah, hello everybody and welcome once again to The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly and I'm joined on the podcast today by Jack Pitbrook and James Moore. So with two weeks to Spurs' next game, the international break intervening and having described the game as we did on the last podcast as must-wins for Spurs, they did win the game and I thought, James, they won it, you know, fairly convincingly. Yeah, they did. I... I thought they kind of displayed a, a decent amount of control in that game. And it probably felt... I, I, I would say if there was any anxiety in the stadium, it was more from the fans and the players. I thought the players looked incredibly composed. Uh, and they were, in, they were in full control of that game, really. West Ham had... Like, how many chances did West Ham have? Good ones. Three, maybe, I can think of. The goal, the one Antonio screwed wide after Kane gave him the ball in the first kind of 15 yeah, minutes. Yeah, brilliant pass. He's a brilliant <laughs> yeah, passer, well, Kane, isn't he? Uh, <laughs> and that Antonio one that he kind of skewed wide and over after maybe five minutes of a second half. But I don't think they had any other good chances, really. I think Spurs defended well, kept the ball well, didn't create loads, but they created enough to win and score a couple more goals than they did. So, yeah, a very good performance. And I think actually... Uh, you know, you're right. It was a must-win game, and they did that. But I think the performance was it was just so encouraging as well. Against a decent side, regardless of whether or not they were a bit tired after Thursday night, uh, I was uh, I was really impressed by that. What did you make of it, Jack? Yeah, I agree with James. I thought that Tottenham looked really in kind of complete control. Uh, they scored some nice goals. I like James. I didn't really feel like West Ham were going to come back into the game at all. It's such a shame in hindsight, like looking backwards, that they screwed up at the second half at Old Trafford as badly as they did, because you can tell that like the overall level of performance at the moment is actually pretty high and getting better. You know, if you draw a line, you know, if you were to if you were to map Tottenham's performances on a graph, you could clearly tell that they they are heading in the right direction, even if they maybe have left themselves a little bit too much to do to get fourth. And and the manager. Perhaps despite himself, um, uh, he was almost pleased with them after the game, wasn't he? In fact, he was pleased with them. Let, let's not uh, let's not be churlish. He was pleased with them, and that was good to see. Um, I'll come on to how they did it and how well who played well. I just want to perhaps talk for a second here about the way we all devour football, how we watch the games. I spoiled it for myself, being so livid with Matt Doherty for their goal. Um, the ball goes down that side. He makes the wrong decision to try and run out of play. It's never getting out of play. And then panics, lunges at the ball, and it goes out for a corner. What do we know about West Ham? They're really brilliant from corners. What do we know about Spurs? And you know, Charlie Eccleshead did a piece in the Athletic about it not so very long ago. They're real vulnerable from set pieces. And the fact that Matt, and it, of course he didn't mean, it wasn't a Cheshire cat grin, but he smiled slightly to himself. Maybe it was ironic smile because he perhaps knew what was coming. I certainly knew what was coming. Why do we do this to ourselves? Why, or is it just me? I 
I spoiled the next 30 minutes of the game for myself, fuming about that about that one poor decision a footballer had made. But I think that did really affect the atmosphere, that goal. And Spurs totally. were massively on top. You know, 2-0 did not flatter Spurs at all in the first half hour or whatever it was. Um, and it is such a shame, but that was the one moment. And it did lead to anxiety in the stands, uh, as I say, and sorry, Jack has misquoted me there slightly because I did worry that West Ham were getting back, would get back into it. It was completely irrational, but I did worry about it. It, it was kind of seemed like an unnecessary goal to concede. Did you say it was a, it was a bit of a mistake by Doherty, who who had done well in the last few weeks? I think we've all been pretty played well yesterday, played. except for that one yeah. moment of madness. He does seem to in the last couple of games just had a few bad moments. Where I, I mean, I thought, I mean, maybe maybe this is a bit unfair, and I've not seen that, but it was right in front of me in the ground. But I did think he kind of he could have hooked that out, couldn't he? It looked like he could easily have kind of lumped that out into the stand. He was like in a, f- a football possibility supermarket. He had a number of choices, probably too many, um, and eventually chose muesli with no fruit and sugar. He went for that, and it just didn't work out for him. Um, I, I suppose as well, uh, this is a moment, let me tell you as well, I, I called him a tool on on Twitter <laughs> over this, and I regret that because, you know, that level of personal abuse, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I'd block you if you called me a tool <laughs> without reason. But I, I suppose in this podcast, we've only got really this game to talk about and, and perhaps the international break. I should make the point that it reminded me of myself, actually, that um, in the late 90s, I stopped going to Spurs for five years, a grown man, because of the effect it was having on my uh, my, my moods. Tottenham's results were starting to decide whether I felt good. You know, I'm broadcasting, doing all the usual stuff that I do, perfectly a perfectly decent life. And yet my moods were being dictated by whether a football team had won, lost or drawn during the, uh, during the weekend or on a Wednesday, or on a Wednesday usually. Um, and I, I just, I, I made myself calm down. My reaction to Matt Doherty reminded me that uh, you can go too far. I, good, love Spurs, great, want them to win, really want them to win. Um, but you can take it too far. Have you ever taken it too far, do you think, James? Have you let it ever uh, ruin your life being a Spurs fan? Yeah, every week. Oh, every week, win or lose, you know. I, I, I mean, I've definitely put like big bets on Spurs to lose games. Uh, to be fair, that has probably paid off more than it hasn't. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so there have been occasions where Spurs have won and I've been out of pocket a bit. But uh, yeah, I, I'm very emotionally involved. Danny, what made you start going back to yeah, White Hart Lane again? Oh no, no. Was there a specific game that was your last game? What was the? What was no, the game? I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think I can remember uh, the specific game or the or the, the trigger. Um, it was just a feeling that you know. Um, I am by nature an ancestor worshipper. I thought, did your mum and dad um, produce you to have your life? Dictated to by a bunch of people over whom you have no control, and I think it was the, I think it was that it was the realization that much as I think me shouting at the players and analyzing the game and all the rest of it gives me a, a, some kind of control. In the end, I realized, of course, you've got absolutely no control over this. Try and try and look after the things that you can have some influence over. And I don't remember the decision to go back either. I'd love to tell you. Um, like a contestant on Strictly Come Dancing that I'd worked on myself <laughs> and had reached a, a, a plateau of self-happiness uh, and realisation. In fact, I just decided, I guess, all right, let's give this another go. But it was amazing the way Doherty's mistake set off a whole lot of really gnarly, I would say almost diabolical feelings within myself. <laughs> I definitely, uh, there was a point where I was losing interest, which was actually oddly the time that I moved to London. It was like 2003, 2004. Or the start of 2004, 2005, 
when Santini was managing all the games already. It was a very short period of time. Yeah, of course. But Santini was a manager and it was all incredibly boring. I sort of missed a couple of games and I thought, I was like at university and obviously like there are other things you can be doing, you know, at, at that age when you moved to London for the first time. But then, yeah, and Martin Yol kind of came in and it all suddenly the following season felt far more exciting again. And then I was, I was back in. I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but on... I had to hand in my dissertation the day after the Lasagna Gate game. <laughs> wow. And that, that was definitely a low point because, uh, <laughs> I, and I think my dad might listen to this podcast, and I don't know if I mentioned this bit before, but I hadn't finished my dissertation. So I had to go back, like half cut, back on the back on the tube, like watching it in some pub in Camden because it wasn't on TV, infamously. I was sick on the tube. Good I had to finish my dissertation on uh, the perception of football fans in the media or the, uh, the way football fans were represented in the media. Um, Just write about which, yourself, really. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, and that's why I only got a 2-2. You were sick on the tube? Yeah, one of two times I've been sick on the wow. tube. Wow. I feel like we might have spoken about this. I think we have one. spoken about this on a podcast actually yeah, a year or two ago. Uh, yeah. No, no, I, uh, I have never been sick on the tube. You've not lived, mate. Okay. One time only for me. Um, I suspect on the far end of a very famous brand of fried chicken, um, and, uh, and, uh, and, that, and that'll leave it uh, at that. That's, de- that's definitely what it was. Although I also, I, I have been on one of the more amazing tube journeys of all time. Um, when I left one branch of British Rail to go to another way back in the day, I uh, had a tremendous midday drink up with my colleagues to, 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 to go. And I went to get the, um, the Victoria line. Uh, for those who don't live in London, that's uh, you know one of the tube lines to Highbury and Islington. Of course, I've always lived uh, by and large under the shadow of Arsenal Stadium. I got off. Uh, I would I would normally go Victoria, get off at Highbury and Islington. Of course, I fell asleep on the tube and woke up um, in wherever the far end of it Walthamstow. is. Walthamstow. Uh, Walthamstow. Okay, that's fine. All right, Walthamstow. Get my work going. Zoom. Woke up in Brixton. Went back down the other and woke up in Brixton. Walthamstow to Brixton about four times before I eventually, I think, I, I wasn't one of those people who hung a, a, a sign around my neck saying, please wake me at Highbury and Islington, like commuters do. Um, but but I, I remember going up and down all day, quite merrily, uh, on, on the Victoria line. Um, all right, so uh, uh, Matt Doherty, you're not a tool. You're not a tool. I'm sorry I used that word. Um, and I'll, I'll try and behave a little bit better. Let's get back to the positives. We talked to the last podcast about how Son's form, his input in goals and assists was hiding one of those spells of form that he gets into where he's, he can't seem to control the ball um, and all the rest of it. Much better yesterday. And of course, along with Kane, he was involved in all three of the goals, Jack. Yeah, I think it was probably the best overall performance I've seen for him for a while. Like, he's clearly... He's not... He just... He's not looked himself, I think, really since December-ish. Uh, whereas this time, I thought he just had that kind of. Even aside from the two goals he scored, maybe I mean he could really have had the had had a third had the Zuma own goal been credited to him. Um, but he just looked kind of up for it. You know, he was taking people on. He was collecting the ball in deep positions, then running outside of his defender, and I, he just seemed to have maybe it's kind of sharpness, maybe it's confidence, maybe it's fitness. I'm not sure. Maybe he just looks that way simply because he scored that goals. But I do think this kind of looked a bit more like the Sonny that we know and love. It, that was the second home game in a row where in the stadium they've announced the first goal as being scored by a player. And when it's obviously been an own goal. And then that player has scored another two goals. And they've kind of just had to kind of fudge over the fact that player hasn't scored a hat-trick. At no point did they correct themselves. Now, I knew, I knew it was an own goal. But 
I hadn't really considered who might have scored it, so I didn't realise Zuma had scored the own goal until about like half an hour, 45 minutes after the game when I was walking, I was getting back on the tube. I wasn't sick. Uh, Good boy. I, I, I would have enjoyed that game far more if I'd realised Zuma had scored an own goal. This compl- I mean, this didn't, it just didn't cross my mind to check who it was. Let me add to your enjoyment then, because um, I, I'm not one of those who want Kurt Zuma sacked and all the rest of it. He's made a mistake. But as a cat lover... The fact that the first two goals both went in off him uh, was, was <laughs> made it extra juicy and extra delightful. And until Matt Doherty miscontrolled that ball, that for me was the I was really warming my hands on the game. <laughs> Listen, um, Son is beloved at Spurs because of his no pun intended sunny personality, all the rest of it. And yet, I saw somebody on Twitter, a professional broadcaster, um, somebody that I work with on an American show calling him the most dislikable player in the Premier League. After he threw himself to the ground with that ball, I think it was Kurt Zuma yeah, again. When, it was Zuma when the, again, wasn't it? When the, when the bloke who kicked his cat across the kitchen kicked the, kicked the football at him on purpose, yeah. and he, he, he fell over. Yeah, And Son is the most dislikable player in the league. When, when a bloke who's kicked his cat across his kitchen has kicked the football at him. You, well, you, you, you've sure. actually. I was, I was hoping, uh, hoping to open a can of worms there, but actually, you've closed uh, the case pretty quickly there. You might as well get a gavel when you do that stuff, uh, <laughs> James, because uh, yes, of course, uh, the most dislikable footballer is probably not Hunmin Song, even among the two people involved in that kicking the ball thing. I mean, look, I can see, I can see why people find that you know he has his like, like you say, he's got this sunny disposition, and, and, and it's this kind of perception in kind of media terms that he's like a really friendly bloke and a happy-go-lucky bloke and he's everyone's kind of you know he's the neutral's favourite everyone's second favourite player if that's a phrase I'm not yeah. sure actually is and he does you know occasionally make a meal of things like that which I can see being incredibly annoying if you're a fan of the other team fine but to say he is the most dislikable player in the Premier League when out of that league of shithouses and there are some <laughs> yeah. ter- terrible terrible blokes in that league yeah. on and off the pitch I- I'm not having that he is the most dislikable James, who's your least favourite player in the Premier League? Uh, oh, that's a good question. This is going to be an odd one. Frank Quadro, I really used to hate him. There's oh, just wow. something about it. Like, he just seemed to... He scored quite a few goals against Spurs, and obviously that would be a big part of it. But yeah, he just... Who, oh, I just who, is, who is yours, Jack? Uh, I don't know, actually. Um, yeah, you can't. Yeah, uh, come on. Uh, you can't ask me that and not answer. Do I have one? Uh, don't particularly uh, like Chris- I'll, I'll, I'll give you a chance to think because I, I have one. I don't especially I like Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, that, that, but there's, there's plenty of evidence for that. It's almost dull to talk about Kane and Son and what they do. So what about the fact that um, the performance was, you know, we can't take those two out of the team. They are a large part of the team. But this good performance against West Ham, I'm prepared to use the word excellent, actually, was again based, Jack, on the three most recent imports in Romero, Kulisewski and Bentancur. Yeah, those those three guys are playing really, really well. And like Romero, I mean, we all, we all know how good Romero is. I, don't, I mean, I don't think I don't think Benton Kerr and Kulisewski are going under the radar for non-Spurs fans. No, no, sorry, for Spurs fans. But I think for non-Spurs fans... These guys have been really good, and they've come, you know they, they've come in with no Premier League experience, and they've hit the ground running, and that's really really rare. Even like doubly yeah, so, doubly so for January arrivals. I thought Benton Kerr was sensational yesterday. Like he's so he's such a gifted footballer. His ability to kind of take the ball on the half turn is amazing. The re- he's got a brilliant range of passing. I think Jamie Redknapp was making the point at half time about how he, t- he plays danger. He plays risky passes. You know, he's wi- he's willing to risk giving the ball away to play the ball forward through the opposition. 
he also he works incredibly hard as well. He's not just a kind of talented. He's not just a talented footballer. Uh, he gives Spurs a lot without the ball as well. So yeah, I think he's been fantastic, and then I think Kulusevski's a, a very very good player as well. I did see a few kind of tweets from non-Spurs fans yesterday uh, during and after the game about Kulusevski, who I think maybe. Maybe for the first time he'd kind of been noticed by by non-Spurs fans. I think Ben Tenkerman was at 100 passes yesterday, I think, or 99 yeah. successful passes or something. And I saw a few comments about them all being kind of backwards and sideways. No. Which, you know, no. uh, it, it, even, if it was, it, even if it was true, uh, I don't think it was necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but like you say, he takes the ball in difficult positions and shifts it to other players who are in space. I'm like... That that strings the whole thing together so much better than it was than it was working in the first. The, two the second season. goal for which Kane gets all the the praise for his through ball to Son, and of course it was absolutely laser precise and almost telepathic. But he gets the ball from Bentancur in a position where ninety percent of Premier League players would have played that ball safely. But he plays that ball across the opposition, and if it had been cut out, Spurs would have been in trouble. But it was a very brave pass and it was brilliantly executed. Um, and I know there are no um, strange baubles at the end of the season for assists to the assister. Um, but it pre-assist. Was, it, it, pre-assist. Thank you very much indeed. Um, it, but, it, but it was a game cracker. It got the ball to the player who was going to make you know, the second goal, which went in, of course, once again off Kurt Zuma. Um, just want to add further pleasures. That's why the second goal, I know the, the third goal was a thing of aesthetic beauty, but the second one, because it involved two wonderful passes by Spurs players, a, a, a good finish by Son and a deflection off Zuma will remain my favourite from, from those. The funny thing about Kulisewski is that when he, in his first game, I think everybody, and he would have been when he came on against Brighton in the FA Cup, he looked a bit slow. He had that one time where he was trying to chase the ball in behind and he wasn't. He didn't look that yeah. quick. And I think a lot of people, maybe even some people on this podcast, made their minds up quite quickly that he, was never, he wasn't quick enough to be effective. Charlie, Charlie really embarrassed himself. Echo share, you He's actually, even though he isn't maybe the quickest, he's he's such a good player. Like his his ability to link the game, to, kind, to do that kind of job that no one's really done since Ericsson, which is to be a to kind of connect the back half or the back bit of the team to Kane and Son up front. He balances the team really well. He creates chances. He scores goals. And the, I know Lucas Moura played well as an individual, but the team is clearly much better with Kulisevsky in that in that position than with Lucas, I think. You're right. Lucas played some very good games of sort of firework football where he yeah. just explodes in little spaces. But it's, it's anti-Conti, isn't it? He wants to know that the player is going to do something correct at the end of, of these movements they have to make um, and Kulusevski does look much more likely uh, to do that much as I enjoy the energy that Mora brings and which is an, an odd one isn't it because he he ought to be the perfect um, late substitute because he you know against tiring opposition but he comes on he's not as happy I don't think when he comes on as a sub is he, he doesn't seem to do uh, those things that, that we've seen him do reasonably well in, in other games all of this uh, merry talk uh, means that we have to confront, for those of us who are long-term Spurs fans and for those of us who are long-term Spurs fans from Islington, we have to confront the fact that um, I think West Ham are probably cooked now in the race for fourth. Manchester United is still very much in it, but it does look once again, uh, James, that it's down to the two North London rivals. They're certainly going to go have to go head-to-head for this. Where do you think we are um, in, relation, well, in relation to them? I mean, you say that about Manchester United maybe being 
third favourites there, which may still be true. But actually, they've still they've still got a game against Arsenal. So if they won that game, they'll be thinking if Spurs beat Arsenal, then they'll probably be the yeah. United would be the ones in the box seat. And if so, Arsenal win both of those games, but this this will be a yeah. very strange conversation, won't it? Look, if Arsenal win both of those games, then I'd be amazed yeah, course, if they don't yeah. do it. Yeah, uh, but, you know they would have given themselves a huge advantage there. Arsenal have got a very hard run of games towards the end, including Tottenham, where they've got Manchester United, West Ham, and Chelsea. I think still to come in quite a like compact part of the season. So I, I don't think it's over yet. No, like, no. Like you, I would make Arsenal big favourites, and their result on Saturday was very it, it, good. any game where they could have dropped points. I think was was significant. So we'll we'll see how we go. Yeah, I mean, I guess Jack. The way I'm thinking about it is that uh, you know, and we all know that this stage of the season results are more important than performances. Spurs. They can probably afford to lose two games. One of them, I think, is is in the Stars at Liverpool. And the other one could be anywhere, but it can't be the North London derby. Yeah, there's clearly no margin for error left for Tottenham. I mean, they've used up all their margin for error with those very po- avoidable defeats they've had along the way. You know, Wolves, Southampton, Burnley, Man- mm-hmm. Manchester United, a game they definitely should have won and in which they played better than United. So there is, yeah, so they are going to have to... I'm not sure exactly what numbers, but I think they probably have to get beyond, you know, more average, more than two points per game over the run-in if they're going to do it. I think it more comes down to Arsenal because Arsenal have been playing so well in the last few months, but they've never really been under any pressure. You know, they don't have a great record in the biggest games. They lost to City while playing quite well. They lost to City Liverpool while playing quite well. But now that they're in this position where fourth is completely in their hands, it kind of comes down to the bottle of the team. Like We know that they can play, but we don't know if they can continue to play this well under pressure. So I don't really have any doubts about Tottenham. Like I think they've hit a level of performance where, which I'm sure they can replicate over the run-in. The bigger question really is whether or not Arsenal are going to wobble. Uh, and I, we just don't know really. And you're right to mention the pressure. The other thing, um, of course, with Arsenal, that's unknowable is that uh, as their manager so patently failed to point out during his uh, complaining about how many fixtures they've still got to play, of course, uh, from January uh, onwards, they played eight games in 11 weeks in the Premier League. Um, they've had tremendous preparation time and tremendous resting time that they're not going to get. And we'll see whether that affects their run-in as well. The other thing, the other thing that could could affect them is if Spurs keep winning. Like the idea of a t- the team chasing you down, winning every week, yeah. can like really grind a team down. And if you look at Tottenham, you know, they've won two in a row now, Spurs, which you know is a big achievement for this team. We have to say. So by definition, they've won three out of four now. I think it's four out of five in the league, isn't yeah, it? I think? I think it is. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And if you look at the next five games, I mean, look, without wanting to get ahead of ourselves, Newcastle at home, Villa away, Brighton at home, Brentford away, Leicester at home. They get, I'm not saying they will get 15 points no, in those but, five games, but they're games where they will be favourites to win. If Villa play like they're playing on Saturday, Spurs could definitely win there. Yeah. Newcastle have lost the last couple of games. It looked like they've lost a little bit of momentum, so maybe that's Trippier's a bit Trippier's injury has taken some of the out of them, hasn't it? Maybe that's, that's slightly, a slightly less difficult game. Yeah, a slightly less challenging game than it would have looked three or four weeks ago. Brighton, they've just beaten and looked like they're cooked. Brentford have had a bit of a resurgence, but that Spurs should be backing themselves to win that game. Then Leicester at home, they've been a bit hot and cold this season, so you see. Yeah. But if they, if they won those five games, wow. then you're into the last three or four games of the season, and then I, then I think pressure's on. And, that, and that'll be getting to around the point where Arsenal have these games against Chelsea, Manchester United, West Ham and Spurs. I mean, if, you know, if they if they come out of those five unbeaten, I think they'll be they'll be really putting pressure on, on the teams. 
around them. And just, just sorry, James, I just want men, forgot to mention how's it feeling now that you've broken your thing of never being on here after Spurs have won you've, you've, a couple of times now. Someone tweeted it, didn't they, yesterday or, or last night? But I thought, yeah, it's happened a couple of times now. I, it's almost like that wasn't really a thing. No, 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 no. It really was a thing. It was. I think it was the most important thing about Spurs this season. Your scheduling, um, but you've done very well. You've broken it now. In fact, you've become a lucky mascot. Well, I, well, I'm afraid you, you, may, you may have to cancel all other work and just do this podcast to ensure that Spurs win these games coming into the running. I wanted to talk about something else before we take a quick break. And uh, perhaps in the euphoria of winning a must-win game, you were once again on Twitter, uh, James, saying that uh, you think 3-1 is the perfect scoreline. I'm not sure that Jack agrees with you. Why? What is your argument for the for the 3-1 being the, the, the most imperious of all scorelines? Well, I think scoring, like, three is the first number of goals I think you can score, the lowest number of goals I think you can score, where it feels like you've really sort of put the opposite t- put the opposition team, you know, on their backside. That, Like, if you concede three goals, you really feel like you've been properly beaten. Like, you can lose 2-1, 2-0, and you don't really mm-hmm. feel like you kind of had a, had a proper beating. So, scoring three goals, I think, is the start of a, of a really good win. You need to concede a goal to have that kind of peril, to kind of have the thrill of it, to kind of feel like you've been in a competitive match, like 3-0, good, but it doesn't. It feels like a bit one-sided. And anything more than 3-1, anything, any bigger of win than 3-1, it feels a bit one-sided. It's a bit of a thrashing, which obviously we all enjoy, but then again, a bit one-sided. And, you know, like a kind of 4-2 or a 5-3 or whatever. So, was it hockey score? I think that's what uh, the, great, the great Jose Mourinho once said. So, 3-1... Right in the middle, perfect. Jack, what's your favourite score? Uh, I like the pain of a one nil. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You're a sick man. Yeah, I, the ten, like the, the the tension, the fear, uh, the sense it might not be deserved. Yeah, obviously deeply unpleasant at the time, but then you come out of it and it's uh, yeah, you feel much better for having done it, like a massage. One nil away from home, and you don't deserve to win. Oh, really and good. with the late, the late offside shit house yeah, goal, yeah, yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that everyone, everyone enjoys. That. I have to say myself, and this may be the result of being a Spurs fan for so very long. Four in a scoreline always makes me think, and I'm not a great fan of the five-all draw. You know, um, I grew up in an era when defensive football was on. I grew up watching teams grinding out nil nil results and all shaking hands and saying that was great, wasn't it? But I do think, because Spurs have been involved in so many games where they've either got or conceded four, and I, I, I take your point, uh, I take your point, uh, James, that uh, you know it looks a, a bit of a mauling, but Spurs so rarely, um, when they've got four, have won by four nil or four one, there's often a two or a three or even a four against the opposition's name. I guess that word Spursy now used to denigrate the team, but I... I've always had it in my mind as you know being involved in weird, weird and wonderful games, and so four in the scoreline means it's probably been quite a Spursy game. All right, we'll have a quick break when we talk uh, when we come back about the international break, the effect it might or might not have on the team, and what individual players are going to be doing uh, during that. And we'll try and get an update as well. I think on a really interesting one now is will be if Oliver Skip, as I suspect, is on his way back. Three weeks ago, you'd have said he absolutely has to go straight back into the team. I wonder if that's true now. You're listening to The View from the Lane. (laughs) 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Yeah, welcome back to The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. With me today, I'm delighted to say, as always, James Moore and Jack Pitt-Brook. Antonio Conte, I said after the, the victory over West Ham was clearly pleased with the players and only found one thing to moan about. And the thing he was moaning about was that the international break has come at a bad time for the team because they're just starting to play well. Do you think that's right, Jack? Yeah, I, I do, actually. I do think that the even with that bad day at Old Trafford last week, I do think the performances are clearly on an upwards curve. And really, I think Tottenham could do with you know continuing to play because you never know what's going to happen over an international break. Like it's, sure. it's always possible that Kane will get injured or Son will get injured or you know, but it could, could happen in training to be fair it could, well it's pretty likely in a game I would imagine oh no actually maybe not mm. maybe it isn't likely in a game and maybe because they're international friendlies and you know I mean England's games are pretty pointless this week so Southgate might think that he wants to have a look at some different players so maybe Tottenham senior players won't play so much you know we know that Eric Dyer in fact quite surprisingly is not in the England squad yeah that's one player he doesn't want to have a look at apparently so yeah uh, ideally I think Tottenham would keep on playing but that said I think I imagine they've got enough players who are not playing international football that you know they can work with Conte and hopefully they'll continue to look even better the far side of the break I, I don't think it's a bad moment to have a Bit of, for some of the players to get a, a little bit of a rest. And there are a few that have looked a little bit jaded. Son being one of them, and he's the one who's going to go off and play in two World Cup qualifiers on the other side of the planet, unfortunately. So yeah, that's a bit of a shame. But I think, I think for, to me, it feels like quite a good moment just to have a week out and just, uh, it, just for us, just to kind of just disconnect from it for a bit and take a breath and uh, go again against Newcastle in two weeks. What about the situation with uh, with Romero? We're, you know, obviously he is very quickly establishing himself as a cult hero, he's off to Argentina, um, despite the fact that they're already qualified. And I, I, I can't work out, uh, Jack, you probably know better than me. He's suspended for at least one of these two games, possibly both. I think he has a two-match ban, mm. which 
comes from the cancel. I think I believe that comes from the cancelled game against Brazil. Yeah, which still hasn't been put back into the schedule, which is another thing. But we've got a piece in the or a line on this in the Athletic this morning saying I think the Argentine Football Association is hoping to have the ban reduced so that Romero can in fact play the second of Argentina's two games this month. So they've got Venezuela in Buenos Aires in a few days' time, and the next week they've got Ecuador away. And so it might be that Romero can play the Ecuador game, although it's, it is slightly redundant given that Argentina have already you know, guaranteed they're going to finish in the top few slots. Although the Ecuador game, um, it could be a, a dead rubber because they're very close to qualifying, but it could be if they don't get a result um, in the first game of this round of this round of two games, that game could be very, very important for Ecuador. It's not an, it's not a problem for Argentina. And by the way, as I say, the game between Argentina and Brazil that was called off has not yet got a date for it. But given that they're both qualified, I'd be very, very inclined if I was the managers and uh, operators of European teams to say, pick players who are playing in South America already. Don't be flying them halfway across the world for an absolutely uh, meaningless game if there's, a, if there's ever such a thing between Argentina. Uh, and Brazil. Who else uh, do we need to think about? Uh, Bentancur, Uruguay, are they're, they're struggling to qualify, but have still got very, very live games. So he'll, he'll yeah, be they've got in... they've got Peru at home, and then they've got Chile away. Yeah, and Peru and Uruguay is a real live one because Peru still have a mathematical chance of qualifying. Although if that goes Uruguay's way, then they will be through. And hopefully they can relax a little bit and maybe try out some other players, including, um, I don't know if he's in the squad, um, Lucas Torreira, um, who has now scored in two successive games in Serie A. Yes, that Lucas Torreira has scored to, uh, in successive games. I think he's for Fiorentina, is it? Um, yeah, replacing Vlaovic in the scoring charts um, for the Viola. Who else is it? Well, we might see Joe Rodon play an actual game of football. Um, that might be good. And we'll keep an eye on these fellas. A huge, it's a huge month for Roden and Davis, isn't it? With those Wales playoffs to get to the World Cup. And it will be but great. They only have one, won't they? Because the finals, or the of final course. on that route has been knocked back. Of course, yeah. Well, it's a huge it's a huge one-off game then. It would be great to see Roden and Davis get to the World Cup. And Bale, of course. I mean, it must be that generation. Bale, Davis, Ramsey, Joe Allen. I would assume this would probably be their last World Cup campaign. Sure. Whereas Roden's slightly different because he's one of he's kind of the next generation of this Wales of this Wales team. But to be honest, he actually looks better for whatever reason. I think he looks better for Wales than he does in club football. Speaking of the game against Austria that they've got to win to you know progress to the final, Andreas Weimann of Bristol City has been called up by Austria seven years after his last international call up. I hope that's an indication that Wales are playing against an Austrian squad that isn't that strong. And looking at David Alaba's performance against Barcelona yesterday, uh, he can, well, it's unfortunate for Wales because he cannot play any worse than that. Himself and Nacho were a disgrace in the middle of the uh, Real Madrid defence. We'll keep an eye on all these Spurs players. And, and one more to keep an eye on. And did I dream that I saw a sort of half quote from Conte that Oliver Skip, who appeared to be having this mystery injury in perpetuity, uh, Jack is perhaps nearer to fitness than, than I imagined. Yeah, they. It's been a huge frustration for Conte over the last few months that uh, this groin injury, groin infection that Skips had, which has kept him out for such a long time. But I don't know whether it just needs rest for Skips to be able to come back, rather than rather than it's you know him him still being injured as such. But yeah, if Skip is fit, let's say hypothetically for the next game, would you play him instead of Hoiberg? Because you can't really drop Bentenker. 
Uh, no. I, yes. I, well, good. Let's let. Uh, I, I, I'm. You know. I, of course, you can change a winning team, but they've played. Uh, you know how you win is important. I think they've played well enough in the past few games to leave well enough alone. Why? Why would you change it, James? I, I think those two, Skip and Benteke, will complement each other really well. I just think Skip's performances this season have been better than than Hoiberg, and I think his ceiling is much higher. You know, Hoiberg has done well, and he's discovered this weird little knack for these dinked balls over the top to Harry Kane and nearly nearly scored another one yesterday. But I think Skip is a better player and I think that's what we saw in the first half of the season. So I think in the longer term, that would be the partnership. Whether or not you have to rush him straight back in, I guess, is a slightly different thing. But yeah, I, I think I would, I would I think I would want Skip and Ben Tanker to be the uh, to be the pivot, the double pivot. It's quite interesting that, that Spurs seem to be kind of lacking creativity in central midfield without Skip. But actually, they've scored, I think, a quarter of their league goals this season, or just over that in the last four league games, where Skip obviously hasn't played. So it can't all be that. My only thing about Skip coming back straight away is that, and maybe I'm becoming a bit conservative in my old age, small c, we don't know that he and Benton Kerr are going to be a perfect alliance. It seems very, very likely, and it's very tempting. But this is not a place for experimenting just now. If you've got a team that is functioning, I think risking it being 10% better and maybe that's what football managers are paid to do. Maybe that's the decision that Conte will say, this is the one where I'm going to say, right, I know better than you know the evidence of your own eyes that the team is playing reasonably well. It will be a very nice problem to have as Oliver Skip's injury has kind of dragged on and on and on. I guess that's it. Upcoming podcasts um, uh, taking place in the international break. We're going to have some fun and uh, talk about some other aspects of, of Spurs rather than just uh, relaying, as we have done with great joy over the past few podcasts, decent wins and wins that are absolutely necessary to keep them in the race for that Champions League place. I want to thank Jack and James uh, for this morning. I want to thank you for listening. And to remind you, of course, that if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, then you can read all of our articles on Spurs, as well as a mountain of other stuff, by going to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. And right now you can sign up for just £1 a month and that lasts for six months, which is just great. We'll be back on Thursday. Thanks for listening. The Athletic.